If we make the assumption that something will be more expensive in the future, and we're very close to that right now, we're very close to the point right now where we're operating as a as a uh, as a population and a and a GDP that's driven primarily by consumers buying things. We're close to the psychology right now that prices will be higher in the future, so you better buy it now. Now contrast that with a few years ago. There was an assumption a few years ago, I'll wait till that goes on sale and buy it at a lower price. And we had stubbornly, extremely low inflation, even below zero inflation where prices were coming down, which can be dangerous. Now we're close to reversing our psychology and it's the Federal Reserve's job to stop us from getting in the mood of you better buy it right now and buy it with borrowed money because the price will go up in the future. And they do that at least partially by, by raising interest rates. If you raise interest rates and you look at the interest on a loan to buy something right now, you'll probably have second thoughts about it. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Hell, spill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and Jeff McClure. And uh, we are, now that we've said our, our names, we always have this little blank. What, what are we supposed to do again? Now, what are we supposed to do now? We, we're supposed to do some kind of a program here on the economy. This is The Personal Wealth Coach. And hopefully today we'll be enlightening you with things about finance, or maybe more likely befuddling you with the complexity of the world that we live in. Uh, hopefully can, we can enlighten more than befuddle, but often what we wind up with is befuddlightenment there. So Beflight, it's beflightenment. Beflightenment. Now we've got a whole bunch of stuff. I want to talk a little bit about real estate. Uh, we want to talk about mortgages. We want to talk about goods and services and truck rates and uh, mortgage rates. So Freddie Mac just come out and says that a 30-year mortgage is at 6.33% on average right now. If you'll recall, it was only about two months ago that we were up at the 7% rate or one month ago. Um, 7%, we may see it again after the Fed raises rates again. But 633 historically is a low mortgage rate. And I realize a lot of people are used to seeing the two and a half or 3% mortgages and they say 6% is horrible. The, the crunch is that we've got a 6.33% mortgage and prices are high. Usually when you have a historically low 6% mortgage, the prices are significantly lower than this. And we're going to probably see continued downturns in the housing market as far as Right now, year over year, we're still positive. But if we look back at where we were in January, prices have come down significantly. And in places like Austin, by significantly, we're talking like 20% down from what it was at the absolute peak. How can you be 20% down from this year and still be up from last year? Because it was so high. Uh, we're going to see the year-over-year year numbers start catching up, and we're going to start to see drop in year-over-year year numbers starting in the next two or three months, just because we are significantly lower on new listing prices in uh, from January. So when we get to January, it should 
start showing up in the numbers as we're seeing downturns. What does that mean? It means that the prices are going to start looking more attractive. I said something earlier in the hour that one out of five American households had moved. A significant a majority percentage of those moves was for purchases, not rental, which means a lot more people than usual bought houses. We had a massive increase in the number of people trying to buy houses during the pandemic. That caused the market to go nuts. It's still a bit nuts. It's going to continue to come down. We don't find rationality. This is something that I, I, I really have to keep coming to. When we see these cycles, you don't say, oh, we're way overpriced. Let's just get it down to a rational price and that's where we'll stop. No, it tends to go down into irrationally low prices. And then we have the swing back the other way. When you have booms or busts, um, eventually you get a nice average. <laughs> But in the middle of it, it's not so good. One foot in dry ice, one foot in boiling water, your average temperature is fine. But your feet are not comfortable. So if you're watching the housing market because you're going to be getting a house, there's a lot of buyer's remorse right now for people that have purchased houses over the last several years. They're not sure they, they want to be in that house. There are um, less houses being made than there should be, but there's still a lot of houses that started at the boom time that aren't quite done yet, and they're going to be hitting the market in the next two months or so. So all of that being said, you may find a little opportunity to buy something if you've been waiting patiently, because it's when everybody is overly disgusted and don't want to look at it, any, at it anymore that you find the good deals. So just keep that in mind. Everybody's going to get disgusted. They've been looking for four years. They're going to give up. And that's when the prices are going to be low enough. It's reverse mentality, but that's the way the markets work. All right. Do you have something else for us? I've got some stuff on China. If the one, Yeah, I do have something I want to talk about. Okay. A really good thing. Um, the Labor Department comes out with a lot of what I consider to be interesting uh, stuff, uh, interesting information. There's, and a, they, there's a labor department at the at the hospital too, and they come no, out with a lot of interesting no, stuff. No, 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 no. That's that's OBGYN. That's yeah. a very different. It's the, it's the labor department. Yeah. No. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. It's important to to look at the little things because the little things are what become big things in the future. Economies run. Well, there's actually a lot of little things too, but the economies run on three major issues. They run on the number of people working number of hours that are working and the number of the number of people generate the certain number of hours that work. So if you have fewer people working, you have a reduction in supply, you have a reduction in production and things tend to go downhill. If you have more people working, making more things, things tend to go uphill as far as production is concerned. The second element to that though is productivity. How much value per hour is each worker making in the economy, whether it's in services or making goods doesn't make any difference. It's called productivity. We have seen a rise in productivity this year. We're continuing to see a rise in productivity. Admittedly, labor productivity increased in, across the entire economy in the third quarter at 0.8%, which is a lot better than 0.3%, which doesn't sound like a whole lot of increase in productivity, uh, but it is. Uh, it's basically about a 3.25% annualized. No, I'm sorry. It's 0.8% annualized. I tried to multiply times four. That's a bad mistake. Uh, but the point is, 
in the manufacturing side, which is where we tend, I tend to focus, productivity rose on an annualized rate at 5.8%. Where we're actually making things in the United States, wages went up about 5 to 7% over the last 12, year, 12 months, but the productivity is rising at an annualized rate of 5.8%. That is phenomenal, folks. That is wonderful. That is marvelous. That says our economy has a great deal of health in it. When it's going in the other direction, which it was, by the way, in the late 70s and early 80s, productivity was actually falling. Wages were going up faster than people were producing new things. And that means a lot of people weren't doing as much work as they did before. And this is a really strong indication that over the long next several years, the economy is going to do quite well. Now, on the services side is where we're having trouble. That increase in productivity on the manufacturing side has been offset by a decrease in productivity on the services side. Why is there a decrease in productivity? Well, if you look at where the jobs are being created, that's the problem. A lot of new people are being hired in the services area, and they're, we're still hiring at, at, at an unsustainable rate, by the way. We're hiring way, we're creating, we're hiring net too many people in the economy to be sustainable over a long period of time. And we have a lot of job openings sitting out there waiting for people to come in, which creates a rising wages, which is the problem we're facing in the economy yeah. right now. We just November added 263,000 new right. jobs. That's a net job increase, su substantially higher than the pre-pandemic average, substantially. We're, we're hiring people at, at still too, too high a rate. But the, 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 in the midst of that, in the midst of talking about the problems that we'd like to talk about, there's this big plus setting over there. On the play, side of the economy, we're actually making things, creating things. Productivity is rising at 5.8% a year. That is some excellent news buried in amongst the, the garbage out there. And I just wanted to comment on that. Oh, one other thing, since you let me take the floor for a minute. Commercial real estate's in a world of hurt. Yeah. Uh, there are buildings right now and matter of fact, God bless ex-president Trump. Um, he owns some of them, or his companies own some of them, where it is pretty clear that the debt on those buildings is significantly more than the value on those buildings, office buildings in New York City. It's significantly true across the rest of the country. There's no national statistics on it. Nobody is measuring that. The, and we won't see the impact until the leases start to run out. But uh, the security one security service reported, at least in New York City, and it's probably true in the rest of the cities too. Maybe not in Austin. I don't know. We'll have to, I, I know a way to check on one of those. That only 50% of the offices are occupied. Does that mean that there's no money coming in on those buildings? Yeah, there's money coming in on those buildings. Why is it coming in? Because people still, the companies that have it still have leases on the office space. But what we're seeing is as those leases, which run three to five years typically, run out, they're not renewing the leases. So we're getting four rent signs, if you will, four lease sign, leasing now signs popping right. up in buildings all over cities in the United States. And those of you who can remember all the way back to the savings and loan crisis, uh, now leasing was the name of the biggest company in the United States because all over the buildings are these now leasing buildings. Yeah, and that's just a good. new style of buildings. They were called see-through building. And you could look in the front and see out the back because there was nobody in there. Right. And we, that is the next crisis, folks. The next crisis is going to be in commercial real estate, I think, and it's not going to be pretty, but it's a reality. Yeah, there, there's already some degree of that happening. Um, one of the major mutual fund companies, BlackRock, uh, and it's one of the big three, um, 
they also do something called private placement or sophisticated investments where they're focused on income from real estate most, um, mostly commercial real estate. And they have had to lock off several of their major uh, funds from withdrawals uh, because it's not liquid in there. We talked about this last week. They're also delaying the um, advent of their newest series of funds that are doing the same thing. They're saying, ah, let's, let's hold off on that. Let's, let's not do that. That's what we're starting to see in a lot of the commercial real estate area. The income is still relatively good, but the liquidity is really tough. And trying to get out of those things and get your principal out is much more difficult than just getting your money. Well, why is that? Because it takes a while to sell real estate. It's not just an immediate sell it by a click of a button. Even in today's era where you're getting it from BlackRock, it isn't like other instruments that you can buy and sell really quickly. So that's one of the things that you really need to be aware of in your purchasing going forward. If you're already in one of those and you're trying to get out, it's harder for us to help you. Being aware that that exists out there and that the term sophisticated investor is something that hasn't changed for a long period of time. If you applied inflation to when I began my career, a sophisticated investor had, needed to have a million dollars of liquid net worth. That's bank and invested assets, liquid, a million dollars. The gauge for whether or not you're a sophisticated investor today is having a liquid net worth of a million dollars. Wait a minute. That's the same number as 31 years ago that a million dollars has not had inflation applied to it, it'd be closer to $15 million today to be qualified as an, a sophisticated investor. What does it mean, sophisticated investor? It means that they don't have to give you the same disclosures and the same documentation as if you're a retail investor. They have less that they need to tell you because you're expected to know or to ask questions or to do your own due diligence. That's the term. To do the research into the, into the company that you're buying, they're not going to do it for you. So as we've experienced inflation, a lot more millionaires exist today than did 30 years ago. There's a problem there. Uh, and this is another one of those, you know, this is uh, commercial real estate can, especially when regulations are getting laxer, and this is a creeping relaxation of regulations and that your sophisticated investor is a lot less sophisticated than they used to be. They don't know what questions to ask. They don't know when they have the right to ask for an audited set of documents on financials on companies that they're buying. That's kind of an important thing. If you're a sophisticated investor, you understand how to do that. And I'm kind of reiterating that, but if you had $15 million that you'd acquired over a lifetime of work and business, then you know about auditing and you know about uh, checking the, the documents and seeing who actually holds the title to buildings. That sort of thing is pretty important. Anyway, 
I'm I'm kicking a dead a a, a a horse. I won't say a dead horse because the SPCA will get upset. But I have another subject to what you have something to add. Yeah, the SEC refers to that person as an accredited investor. By correct, the correct, officially. accredited um, investor. It, the term that's a, used loosely and, is sophisticated. Yeah, and it means that they have income of at least two hundred thousand dollars or a million. Right. Which is or a couple with three hundred thousand dollars, which again hasn't changed much in a long time. Um, the next subject I wanted to talk about is China has a big, big change occurring right now. They are dismantling the zero COVID machine. Um, they are uh, looking around and saying these protests and those of you that are. Um, aware of such things, China has had massive protests going on over the last several weeks at a time when China's not used to having protests. The lockdowns have been severe enough that people are afraid they're not going to eat. They're afraid that fire departments are being hindered from stopping fires. They're upset. Um, well, what does this mean? It means that China is about to go through an extremely chaotic period. When they're opening back up, it's not going to be smooth, and there are going to be a lot of people that are kind of desperate in their reopening. There are going to be a lot of companies that fail and a lot of companies that do well. Um, with the governmental policies in place, there's probably going to be more failures than do wellings. Uh, that's just be aware of that. It is a big deal. The opinions in China up till now have been relatively favorable toward these lockdowns because the infection rate has been so low. And this is something Old Baldy talked about last week that's pretty important. The uh, unvaccinated dangerous population, dangerous population being the elderly, is extremely high. We're talking about about a, a quarter of the folks have no dosage whatsoever, and the vaccines that they have are nowhere near as good as ours. And I know there's folks out there that are listening that are saying, vaccines aren't great or whatever. You can look at the statistical data to see that it prevents disease up to a certain amount. And yes, there are dangers with the vaccine, but those dangers are statistically low. Doesn't help if it's you that got hurt by it, but the Sinovac, which is what they're using in China, has a much higher danger rate and a much lower effective rate. And that's the one that they still haven't got enough people vaccinated with. So when they open back up, we may see another big surge of COVID in China. Just be aware of that. And they may go back to zero COVID halfway through dismantling zero COVID chaos. So be aware there's some chaos out there before we're all wrapped up. Could you say the accredited uh, uh, investor thing again? Okay. The SEC determines what we called a, we're referring to as a sophisticated investor, as an accredited investor. And those are the people who get to take a, a lot of risk and pay a lot of commissions uh, if they don't know what they're getting into. And uh, that $1 million liquid assets and $200,000 of income for an individual, $300,000 for a joint, uh, joint filing was set in 1982. Now, 1982 was a long, long time ago. 40 years. Uh, 
Yes, it was 40 years ago. How do I know? Because that's when I first, and I thought when, when Jake was talking about that, I thought it was sounded very familiar. When I first started taking my securities exam tests in 1982, that was the number. And I thought, is it just my memory or was that the number in 1982? So I looked it up and that was the number of 1982. By the way, it would be about $2.5 million uh, in, 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 the, the, in 2015. A paper was produced by the SEC recommending that it be increased to $2.5 million, not in liquid assets, but in invested liquid assets. And by the way, no action was taken on that. And there's a really good reason no action was taken on it is the lobbying groups for alternative investments and sophisticated investments who like to sell them because they have really high commissions and they pay really, really well for the people who sell them. Uh, didn't want that number raised, so it didn't get raised. Oh, good. So, And we're about out of time. This is the Personal Wealth Coach with Jeff and Jake McClure. Uh, this is the Personal Wealth Coach, and we do make uh, other statements than really bad puns about songs. Uh, we are uh, a, a finance program, as you would probably guess from the Personal Wealth Coach being our title. The Personal Wealth Coach is not just the title of the program. It's also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. All right. Well, does that mean that the SEC likes us? What would you say to that, sir? I would say that the SEC is professionally dislikes almost everyone. Right. That is no implication of the SEC's approval just because we're registered with them. Why is the radio program and the firm named the same thing? Because we have to give this disclosure no matter what it is, and it's less disclosurable. It takes less time to do if it's just the same name. So... We've been doing this program here uh, on, this in, on this station, 1400 AM in Temple, since 1996. We've been doing this a long time, and we haven't been paid for it ever. Uh, we also <clears throat> have not ever paid for it. So we've been doing this a long, long time, and the whole idea is education. We do advertise as a firm for on the studio, uh, on the channel, for this radio program. We don't actually advertise for our firm. We're advertising for the radio program. So what we're saying is that this is educational and we do occasionally get business from it, but our purpose here is truly education. That being said, it's not advice. Advice would be if I knew who you were, if the other bald guy, Jeff, knew who you were and we were able to have a private conversation with you about things in your best interest versus broadcasting to everyone. So we're going to be talking about education, which is why we do the program to begin with. So those two disclosures are really one. And having said that, do you deem to tell us another disclosure? Yes. The information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. And he really can't get through the week without that. I think right. uh, if you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually give individually, uh, individually crafted and customized advice based on what people are trying to achieve. That's generally and portfolio management and portfolio management. And that's generally for people with higher net worths, but we make exceptions occasionally. Um, and so you can contact us locally, voicemail available during the weekend, but actual real live people, no phone tree during the week at? 
254-947-1111. You can reach that line toll-free at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. And I think it's important to note that we're an independent fiduciary firm. We don't work for a corporation. We only work for our clients. Right. Exactly. Uh, you can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. There's a contact form. You can use emails, jeff or jake at tpwc.com. There are uh, recordings of the radio program going back years, newsletters going back decades, uh, and you can find us wherever podcasts are given. Um, thank you very much for listening on a nice Saturday morning. And until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.